God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Thanks, Naomi. Well, good morning, Reliance. Happy 4th. It's good to be back. Um, for those of you I am don't know, I'm one of the pastors here at Alliance Fellowship, and I have been off in June, and it's good to be back. We are rested and enjoyed our little break. Um, Iowa came back, and I was encouraged to hear. It was like a month and a half ago, Adam stood up here, and he said, hey, we need... $40,000 to finish the bathrooms. And as we sat down as elders on Thursday, I was blown away to hear that already 20000 has come in. You guys are incredibly generous. Um, so thankful for your guys' cooperation over the years. And just uh, with that said, so if you're a gentleman and need to use the bathroom, I would stewardship your body on Sunday morning. Uh, while we have coffee available for you, um, you will have to go outside to use the toilet. If you are a woman, you are privileged, and you are able, uh, if you need it, there is a host outside, not outside, but in the foyer that will escort you back to the kids' ministry to bathrooms if you so need it. And from my understanding, Adam said that uh, it'll be done 2022, <laughs> so we'll steward our bodies uh, we, I thought, you know, this is a discipleship process, you know, so you don't just get up during the sermon. You, you have to learn how to sit through a sermon, right? Um, I've been there too. I have done that as well. I encourage you. You have to go, go. But um, first week of August, I guess. So if they say, I don't, I don't know if this is tribulation or trouble, but that's maybe what James was thinking about. Um, we'll we'll ha- go at, keep going away at it. And uh, you would consider... Um, our goal was 40000 that you would continue, consider with the Lord uh, if God would want you to contribute to that. One other thing, uh, kids' ministry. So we're locking this down. Uh, you're going to get three or four weeks to be reminded of this. But when you check in, you're given a sticker. And that sticker gives you access to the kids' ministry. And so we're asking of parents that if you don't have a sticker, you can't go back to go pick up your child. Um, we care about our children, and we want to make sure that those who pick up the children get their children and not someone else. And just so that everything is considered fairly, my wife, one Sunday, tried to get our children, and she is, 
I would say, yes, yes, she's the pastor's wife. And my elder would not let her pick up my children. <laughs> so if she must submit, <laughs> if she must submit to this same standard, it was my fault. I did not give her the sticker. So um, uh, we had asked this, uh, I don't know if you heard a couple months ago, but this happened where somebody just randomly showed up at the kids' ministry and took a child. And so we just want to, we want to be above reproach. We want to make sure. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to remind you this. And uh, if, if the elders or the safety team member says, where's your sticker? You're just going to hold it up proudly and say, I have been proclaimed by this computer to be able to pick up my child. And you will be able to go up and pick your child. So uh, 4th of July. Several years ago, a team of, uh, from Reliance went to Catania. As we sat outside one of the refugee camps, I remember talking to a young man. He had just fled from Libya and had experienced slavery, experienced really hard troubles upon the waters trying to get to freedom. His right eye, was, he was beaten so bad that it was swollen shut and permanently closed. As I sat with him and I was talking to him about uh, Lord, our Savior, and our King. One thing that was just captivated in his mind was this deep desire to be able to live in the United States. Now, our country's got issues. It has ideals. It has this idea of freedom for all religions, this opportunity, this ideal that everyone should have an equal opportunity. And sitting with this young man, he realized he wasn't going to give that opportunity. I got, to came, I got to come home, and I don't know where he is now, and the Lord knows where he moves the people among the nations. But we are a people who hope in Christ. We're a nation within a nation. We're an, a people with an anthem among a people with an anthem. And we get to sing freely. We get to go serve those around the world freely. We get to come home and enjoy our families in this, in, with safeties. And so this 4th of July, the, light, the skies will light up, especially West Richland. <laughs> and we'll enjoy the freedoms that we have. Don't take them for granted. Uh, many of us grew up in with really enjoyable homes. And we know that even though you have a fresh beginning and a great opportunity in a family, we could squander it. And we as Americans should recognize that the potential that we have, we should be the most generous people in light of knowing who our Christ, our Savior is, Christ Jesus, to serve and to sacrifice and not spoil the opportunity that God has allowed us to have. And so today I wanted to, it's my first Sunday back, we could have got back into Romans 9, and I said, no, let's wait. I wanted to look at Psalms 46 because it's an anthem of a people who trust in the Lord and this anthem, well, you know what I find fascinating about those who hope in the Lord cannot sing just one song about Him. It takes hundreds and hundreds of songs. In fact, the psalm says, sing a new song. Because the greatness of our God, you can't define in one song. Psalms 46 is this song in which a nation faced their demise, the city of Jerusalem. And here he is, this man, he's a commander of King Sennacherib's army. Hezekiah, the king of Jerusalem, 
He's done for. He has no backup plan. And he has heard of the, uh, the, uh, the challenges that Sennacherib has placed upon the northern kingdom of Israel. Nobody could stop him. In fact, Sennacherib was so uh, successful in his, his conquests that he would, in his pride, torment the nations that he would conquer. And as he would conquer the nations, he would torment them, and that sound would go forth to the nations in which he was going. He would impale his victims. He would harass them in ways that I, I was tempted to read this morning, but they were so graphic, I don't think it is helpful. In fact, he was so horrendously uh, unhuman in the way that he would treat those he conquered. Jonah, when God said, you need to go to Assyria, the king of Sennacherib, where he was conquering the nations, Jonah hated him. And what the Assyrians stand for, stood for. And so when Jonah was called, go to the Assyrians, because I know their wickedness, and it has stacked up against, up to the point where it's in my throne room, and I must respond. And he says, Jonah, go, and proclaim that the God of the heavens is watched, and call them to repentance. Jonah, so upset with the Assyrians. You remember what Jonah does. No grace should be given to the Assyrians so that he tries to flee. Hezekiah comes out one morning and he sees the Sennacherib army surrounding the city. 45,000 men enthroned in golden chariots, 80,000 warriors in coats of mail, 60,000 swordsmen, and numerous cavalry. The general of Sennacherib's army comes up before the city wall and he has one question for King Hezekiah. What is this confidence that you have? No one's going to come to your aid. Egypt, if you were to even lean on Egypt's strength, you would fall. I'll give you 2,000 horsemen, and maybe we can make the battle worth something. That I know, Hezekiah, you don't even have the men to sit on these horses. And Hezekiah knew he was backed up into a corner, and there was nothing that he could do to win the battle. I call this, all you have is God. Maybe it's a better way to say it this way. If God doesn't show up, that's it. Been there? God doesn't show up, that's it. All other resources have been stripped away. And you come to realize if God doesn't come in and heal this cancer, that's it. If God doesn't provide me with the, the favor of this employer, I don't know how I'm going to pay next month. And those are just minimal. Hezekiah trapped in a city with a whole bunch of people who are looking to him how to guide him out of this situation. If God doesn't show up, that's it. Sennacherib knows it. And so he taunts him. I am counted among the uh, commentators that think that Psalms 46, as I will go on to show, that was written in light of this situation. Hezekiah, even upon hearing this taunting in 2 Kings 19 verse 3, 
says this as he hears the report. This day is a day of distress. It's a day of rebuke and rejection. For children have come to birth and there is no strength to deliver. Can you imagine facing a, an army of such size and you're looking to children for strength? He has found nothing to keep them out from trouble. We call this helplessness. And so this nation, in the midst of this conflict, this issue, sang an anthem. And I think it over this generation has it been ones for those who hope in God, a reminder. Well, if God doesn't show up, that's it. All you need is God. And that's it. Walls, chariots, armor, whatever the world hopes in are futile if you have God on your side. And so the psalm says in Psalms 46, in light of this mocking question, if God doesn't show up, that's it. Look at verse 1 with me. And I'm just going to try to unpack this. Verse 1, because if you understand verse 1, then all of it rolls off and you understand it. Excuse me. In light of this question that the king Sennach asked through his general, what is this confidence that you have? The psalmist responds, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. If you allow me this morning... The word that I'd like to just take a moment and consider is that word, help. I have a variety of, uh, of girls in my house. We're outnumbering me and Lincoln and I. We don't have a chance um, in our house. But the one thing that I've noticed in most of our girls is their height. They lack it. Um, while they have incredible beauty. But one thing that I recognize when they want to get milk out of the fridge, they often ask, for help. And I think in our modern culture, we think of help, the term, in the sense of someone helping someone else in an inferior position. My girls are inferior in their heights. And so they ask, Dad, will you help me? And in my excessive strength of height, I can help them. That perception of God is often applied to him. And that we look to God as someone who is helping someone in an inferior position. But as we know from the scriptures, this is not the perception of how we ought to view God. He shows up in our inferior position and then fulfills it in that regard. This is not the sense of what we see as help. So what I want to do so we understand this psalm is remember the first time help or helper pops up. That happens in the very beginning. Genesis, when God created Adam, he provided for Adam what? A helper, right? The helper was, as you remember in Acts, or no, excuse me, Genesis, Acts, why am I going to Acts? Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. You got to give me grace. I've been gone for a month. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, if we were to view the term help as someone being in an inferior position, you could understand how this term, they could be abused to view women of inferior position in relationship to a man. Well, anybody who reads the text in that way just 
regards the intent of God as who he created a woman and what they created woman for. We know that man and woman are created equally, yet each play a unique role in their creation. And that man recognizes that there's responsibilities that he might have, governed and given by God, that a woman also has its, her own unique principles, given and defined by God. And in this moment, God, looking at Adam, he recognized that Adam was unable to fulfill all that he desired for human, humanity, that he provided a helper. And when that man and that woman united together, something occurred, accomplishing more than they were if they were to be left alone. Primarily, we recognize that man by himself is unable to create. And so through this, God provides the helper who is able to create. And we recognize in that moment, this term helper means that when there's this lack of, or this lacking that to fulfill one's um, design, God provided another to participate, that when they unite, they become more than they were united together, than they were separated. Adam lacked something, so God made woman in order that his fullness would be more fully realized. Now, stick with me. When we understand the word helper, if the psalmist says God is our help, Often we recognize that we say, well, I'm in a difficult situation. I recognize that I need God's help. We treat it as if God comes into this one situation, he helps me out, and then we go on with life without him. Well, if we were to perceive God that way, use that certain terminology for your marriage. If you were to treat your wife only to be the helper when you need her, or for your wife to treat your husband only that you need him when you need him, that marriage by definition would be what? Unhealthy, right? To be a helper in the sense that God designed marriage to be, helper means that you, you enjoy life together. And so we understand help is not just getting milk out of the refrigerator. But often that's how we perceive God. Hezekiah, what confidence is it that you have? He's not going to point back to God just that oh, I need him now. And this perception of God, no, he has already had him. And in the midst of the trouble, he knows where to go because God is there. And we recognize this is how God has historically revealed himself to humanity. Let me give you one example. First Samuel 7. The nation of Israel was facing the Philistines and they did not have a chance of defeating them. Verse 7 and 8. Now when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered Mitzvah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. You know what they did? They called for their helpers. Did they call for their wives to fight the Philistines? No. Why? Because if we recognize the hand-to-hand combat, that is quite a disadvantage. Um, men were designed to fight and protect the families. This is what God had intended who did they turn to? No, they turned to the Lord in the midst of this help that they needed. The sons of Israel, verse 8, said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, that he might save us from the hand of the Philistines. Look what happens. Verse Samuel 7, 9-12. Samuel took a suckling lamb, offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord 
for Israel. And the Lord answered him. Why? Because he's a helper. He's present with us. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines were drawing near to the battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines. So what did God do? He brought in a storm. Like, we couldn't do that. But the nation of Israel had a helper. And then through this storm, it confused the Philistines. So they were rounded before Israel. The men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below Bethkar. And Samuel, and we see this term pop up again, took up a stone and he set it between Mitzvah and Shen and named it Ebenezer, saying, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. You have moments where, where you're living life and God just shows up and he helps. I got numerous. I mean, even if we were just to focus in our history, even at Reliance, where God just shows up and he helps. Not to say that he wasn't there. He was always there. But in the moment that he wanted to help, he shows up. Remember, in our, Beth and I were probably in our third year at Moody. It took me eight years to go to Moody, get my undergrad. A lot of people go to school for eight years. They're called doctors. But I went to school, and I, there was one semester where I couldn't pay for my Greek class. And our intent was, is that we wanted to get through Bible college debt-free. And we recognized that this Greek semester course, who wants to pay for Greek anyway, um, we couldn't afford. And so I went to work that day when classes were starting, anticipating that we were going to take a semester off. Totally content that the Lord is the one who provides. Halfway through that work day, my wife receives a phone call. The dean of the college says, hey, why is Jacob not taking Greek? And we said, well, we hate Greek. No, my wife says, "Um, we can't afford it this semester. And he goes, we happen to have a scholarship, and we'd love to give it to him. She calls me up, and of course I said, yeah, absolutely we'll take it. And we talked to my employer and was able, you have moments like that? Where you have God as your helper showing up in ways that you never thought necessary. There are those type of situations in life, but Hezekiah is faced with a whole different one. If you don't show up, that's it. The, the situation's even been heightened even further. He's got a nation behind him looking to his, uh, his authority and his wisdom to provide them with the encouragement. Yeah, don't look over the wall because it'll just cause you discouragement. And meanwhile, the armies are causing, you know, this taunting desire to produce depression and disloyalty to their king. And yet Hezekiah, he falls on his knees and he prays to the Lord, Lord, you can show up. You can answer this situation so that the nations will know that there is only one God in the universe. And the God that which we serve is the God of Israel. So it's important, I think, when we come to know God, even our spouses, to recognize that God has provided them to be a help. But the way that we perceive God, he's in a different manner, a different type of help. Because we recognize in our spouses that they have been wired to help us in a specific way. God, however, as this psalmist 
proclaims, he helps us in a specific way. Look at verse 1 again with me. God is our refuge. Praise God. Shelters we, we recognize we need, even this last week. We recognize comfort from the heat is really valuable. Yet, however, this is what God is. Sennacherib, you can see these army walls. But this is not where we find refuge. Our refuge is in God. These things are accessories. We trust in Him. And when it comes for us, when we recognize that we retreat indoors, we find these facilities to be a place in which we can trust. This ought to be the anthem of those who hope in the Lord. We trust in our Helper, who is our refuge. Not just in the midst of the storm, but everyday life. He is the one who cares for us. When trouble comes, we know where to hide. And when it comes to not just him being our refuge, the psalmist also states he is our strength. Look at that. God is our refuge and our strength, which is helpful for me. We weren't designed to be our own strength. I find it fascinating that we often think that our strength can protect us from the storms in front of us. And how quickly we realize that we really can't go that far. Sennacherib, what did he trust in? His armies. And his country as well. It can trust in its armies. But those are the people of God trust in the Lord who wins the war. As we sang this morning, we know if you got God, that's it. It was the nation of Israel that was very familiar with this reality. When God decided to save a distressed people out of Egypt, he brought them to the Red Sea. No backup, no backup plan for them. They literally have the armies of Pharaoh on one end and water. And yet we recognize that in that situation, the God who is a helper, a refuge, and strength is able to split the waters and lead a nation through them safely. When the nation of Israel reaches the other side and sees the demise of Egypt, it's in Exodus 15.2, their worship, their song was what? The Lord is my strength. And song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God. I will extol him. So Hezekiah, as the general comes up before the wall, and he cries out, what confidence is this that you have? Hezekiah can respond. What do you do with a guy like that? Uh, Well, our God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our help and trouble. And then he goes on to clarify, well, I know you're taunting us. Let me clarify something. Verse 2. Therefore, well, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, Though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, even though if earth itself were to slip out of existence, this is where we'll stand. I don't know if you've seen a mountain. Badger doesn't count. 
Um, but when you see a mountain in its strength, Hezekiah says, I mean, we don't know of much more to get bigger of security than a mountain. And Hezekiah says, even though if that mountain were to melt like wax, we stand in Christ or we stand in the Lord who is able to be our refuge and strength even in that. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose stream may glad the city of God as he thinks of Jerusalem, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. Yes, we're surrounded, but I can look to the temple and God's presence is there. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar and the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. What I love about this psalm. He raised his voice. The earth melted. When Israel went to Mount Sinai, God comes down, the smoke and the fire, that terrified the people. But what terrified the people the most? You remember? When he spoke. When you read the book of Revelation, you have the scene where Christ comes on the clouds of glory. The nations come to oppose him. It merely says that Christ has a, like a, a, in his mouth there is a sword. Often we think that that's this reality where Jesus is going to fight. No, he is going to merely speak. And the nations will fall to their demise. You might have strength, but you have no ability to even control your own children. It's true. But the God of the heavens, when he speaks, the nations, the mountains melt like wax. And this reality, when Hezekiah is trapped like a bird in a bird cage, he rests in this reality. If I have God, everything else is an accessory. God is our help in our present time of distress. The nations made an uproar and the kingdoms tottered. Look with me again at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Man, I long to see men and women live with that confidence. To live and lead their families. So tempting to trust in security like a job. I long to see men train their sons. A job is an accessory. God provides for you. He will feed you. When you are hungry, if He so desires for your belly to be full, He will give it to you. So pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And if you just need a little bread, trust in him for him to provide it. And to build your families upon strongholds upon God. We often in this nation fear where the Supreme Court or where the present nominees come. But we don't have to. For the Lord in heaven never changes. Sennacherib, your armies are temporary. We trust in the one who is seated on a throne forever. That's our anthem. And so whatever president or whatever nation or whatever future nation this might become, our God remains the same. 
What is this confidence that you have? Every Christian, which is a Christian in America, must be, be able to have a view of God that he could be a good Christian in Africa or North Korea or South Korea or China. Our view of God must be of that which he is on the throne. And he cares for us. Even when the kingdoms shift, our God remains the same. I wonder if Psalms 23 was going through his mind. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Would like a little bit higher wall. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Man, a king in this situation needs wisdom. Father who faces this situation, do we move or we take a job? Do we stay? I need wisdom. Yet it's the Lord who guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because he reigns, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your helper. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Oh, how many people, even in this city, hope to find comfort in a spouse. And they put this measure of expectation on a spouse that can only be satisfied in God. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Hezekiah knows this reality. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overfloweth. Got a little King James sound in there. Surely goodness and the loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Songs of the anthem of those who love the Lord are strengthened. We must sing them. We must know them and trust in them. Sennacherib, he trusted in his armies. Pharaoh, he trusted in his power. Goliath, trusted in his armor. Nebuchadnezzar, trusted in his greatness. And we could go on and on and on. But Hezekiah says that even if the earth changes, I'm staying here. I have no other backup plan. The Lord is sufficient for me. And so that in verse 8, you see this transition. Then it happened. Look at verse 8. The psalmist declares, Come, come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolation on the earth. We had no backup plan. If God doesn't show up, that's it. Hezekiah goes to sleep in the night. And when he wakes up, one of my favorite phrases, then it happened. Look with me in 2 Kings 19.35. As he awakens, he goes back to the wall. Then it happened. That night, the, the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. That is their God. They slept in the night, and the night the Lord went and fought for them. That the psalmist in reality, in invitation, invites us in verse 8, come and see. 
Look at what our God did. Behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. And Hezekiah did nothing. I fear though that when we read Psalms like this we think that's just history. It's not. Because chariots are one thing, but the heart of a man is another. The heart of the man in which needs to be changed to love God and into light in Psalms like this. Every moment we see it, we see the power of God put on display. Wonders have been put on display, no doubt. Jesus himself did it in the presence of many. Worked with a man once said, If I could see Jesus feed the 5,000, if I could see Jesus walk upon the waters, then I would believe. Is that true? No. For the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what did they see? And what did they do? When Jesus went to his hometown and displayed the wonders of God within him, he was amazed that they would not respond in repentance. Why? Because the heart of a proud man is proud indeed. That he can see the wonders of God put on display and yet still reject him. But those who hope, but those who hope in the Lord, see, come see, we were backed up into a corner and in the night he redeemed and we, while we recognize this to be an historical reality, we recognize it to be a present reality. Verse 10. Cease striving. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And it was during our Savior's death, the world saw The effort of God, not the effort of humanity, redeem the nations for those who would believe, but the one who fights for us, who is our helper. Cease striving. Now that's anti-American. Why? Because it is our God who fights the battle and changes the hearts of men. When Hezekiah was in his cities with his wall, Do you know how he responded? I didn't read it. Maybe I should. I'll put it up there. 2 Kings, Aaron, if you can find it. 19, 14 through 19. He prayed. This is what men who trust in the refuge and strength as God as their helper do. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who enthroned above the cherubim, He's not striving. He has ceased. He's saying, God, show up. You're enthroned above the cherubim. You are the God. You alone. All the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib. You hear him? He taunts you which he has sent to the reproach of the living God. Verse 17. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria hath devastated the nations and their lands. 
And those nations, they had cast their gods into the fire, and for they were not gods, but the work of men's hand, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them, but not us. No, Lord our God, I pray, deliver us. Help, help. Deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, our God. He prayed. And as the people of God, even for those who live in this nation, I genuinely believe who changes the heart of a man? It's God. Because he changed yours. Cease striving. That doesn't mean don't do good or don't serve like Christ. That's not what I'm saying. But our greatest weapon is prayer. Show up. My child's life. Redeem their heart. A little girl, one of them. If I don't pray, help her to love you with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength. She says, Daddy, you didn't pray for my heart. What a precious thing that people want the Lord to change their heart. And the only one that can do that is the Lord. And we call upon Him to do so. Verse 10, cease striving. Know that I am God. I will exalt among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. What a song. And I'd pray this 4th of July, no, just every day, that people who watch the people of God could see us singing it, whether it be our mouth, by our actions. What is this confidence that you have? What is this confidence that you have? Christ Jesus. He will redeem you. He is a helper. Hebrews 13, 6 through 8. I can't read all of it. We say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you and consider their result of their conduct. Conduct, Hezekiah, Moses, David, the apostles, Jesus Christ. Is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can trust in Christ as your helper, and the Lord will take care of you as He deems best. And then when it looks like life has surrounded you, you have this promise. When you die, He will resurrect you. We do not fear those who come at us and t- try to take the, our body away from us, for we know the one who just will just raise it up. So there's this confidence that we walk in the midst of the society we live in today. It is tempting, as I close now, but to be like Sennacherib, right? To trust in armies, savings account, resources. But it takes those who trust in the Lord. And I pray for some of you, you need life to be stripped away. So much to the extent that so that you can see, I do trust in the Lord. He is my refuge and my strength. And I pray that you would recognize that in that moment, God is it. Everything else is an accessory. Because when you live in that reality, then you have confidence, genuine confidence. And you are best used for His glory when others can see that. 
And Sennacherib in one night lost an army because he faced the one of a nation who trusts in the Lord as their helper, who is their refuge and their strength. And we know that reality in Christ Jesus. He continues to do that and to change the hearts of men. And we pray for those in our city that they might come and see him. So I leave you with this verse, verse 8. May this be our anthem. Come, behold the works of our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you have been a God who loves to put his people in the negative. It was your son, Jesus Christ, who was left by those in his own city, despised and rejected by those who he grew up with. Even when he was at the cross, his beloved disciples were gone. And even in the cry on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we remember in the psalmist, he still trusted in you. And three days we saw the, the fruit of that faith and that trust. And when you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, resurrected our Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ among all humanity, who is the God-man, displayed for us what it is like to put our confidence in the Lord. For no one has been able to go to the grave and conquer it. And so we worship the conqueror. The conquered, the, the armies of Sennacherib, Goliath, Pharaoh, even death. And Lord, I pray that in the hour of te- test that we find ourselves in, whatever that might be, we be found faithful, trusting in you. And Lord, if you so desire it, Lord, let us be the people who invite those around us to behold and see the greatness of our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.